All right. As we close out our weekend, what a, I mean, I know that everyone's had a good time. There's no doubt about that. We, uh, these weekends, I mean, for some, we're all ready to go home, but yet it's kind of like what Jesse will go. I could stay another week. <laughs> I want to go home, but I could stay another week. It's kind of how we all feel. What do, what do we call this post event disorder? Yeah, post event depression. That's it. So uh, we, we've labeled this, you know. Luke will call or text, you know, five minutes after we leave. I miss you guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it is, and it is. It's like we, we spend this closeness, you know, and it's, it's really cool. And, you know, I've tried when I set messages up for events like this, you know, I've got to try to figure some way to try to stay somewhat in some sort of a connectivity as I progress through is kind of what I want to do. I want to progress us forward and starting with that iron sharpening iron you know just to kind of kick the weekend off letting us know hey this is what it's going to be like and then moving forward you know I always like to do the duck call sermon so that you get a duck call Did anybody blow on their duck call today you, yeah yeah cool yeah anybody use the back side instead of the front side yeah just, <laughs> just just checking yeah but um I actually kind of flipped my my order yesterday because I really felt like um you know, I just really felt like in my heart and my spirit that, that that community message was the one that we needed to hear last night. And I got to tell you, I, I sat outside this morning uh, digging through some notes and, and um, just not sure how to close this. It's not, I was double, I was questioning myself is what I was doing. And um, after a lot of questioning and a lot of digging all through the day and, and spending a lot of time talking to the Lord, I've come back to the one I had already with me. Um, it might seem a little odd when we start into this because I'm going to fast forward this in, in Jesus' time frame pretty much up to, to Easter weekend. I know this is almost Christmas. We're a little ways away from Easter. But I, I want to I premise something as we bring this clo- to a close this weekend. So um, the message that I have for you tonight is called the burial cloth. So to set this up, you've got to realize that we're, we're not day three, following uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. So we understand, right, he was arrested in the garden, um, tried, spent a, a, a very brutal night of humiliation and torture, leading up to his infamous march up Golgotha's Hill, uh, carrying his cross to be nailed to that cross uh, and hung until dead. I mean, that was his punishment or his, his um, sentence. Crucifixion... The, is, the, is literally the most brutal form of death known to mankind. It, it was at the time, and I don't know that you could put anything else in, in its place today. I mean, you think about crucifixion, being nailed, you know, nails piercing your wrist, your, your hands, however you want to believe in that, you know, your feet, and being hung on that cross after spending an entire night of torture, beat, whipped, spit on, the, 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 the crown of thorns. I mean, there's so many things any of you watched The Passion of the Christ, the movie? Wow. I, I, I've managed to watch that once. I've never been able to watch it a second time. But it totally changed how I perceived that night. There was so much involved in that. And, and, and I know it was a movie, but when you realize that somebody gave their life for us, and for me, that didn't know me, I mean, didn't know me personally, at least. Not, I didn't know them, right? But crucifixion being this most brutal form, and, and if you don't realize this, crucifixion, the way you die from crucifixion is suffocation. 
It's, it's not the beating. It's not the nails. It's not the bleeding. It's literally suffocation. Because in the way you are hung on a cross, the, the way they hung with the arms out, the feet tied together, the only way you, you, could ex, or you could inhale air in, but you couldn't exhale unless you pushed your, set your frame up and, and, and moved your diaphragm so you could exhale air. So if you can imagine, you could breathe in, but you can't get anything out unless you somehow manage to pull yourself up against those nails, push yourself up against what was pierced right through your hide to, to exhale air. Typically what happened over a period of time after the soldiers got tired of playing games with you, if you weren't already dead, if, you, if they hadn't beat you enough for you to die you know, early, then they came along and broke your legs so that you could no longer push yourself up so that you would suffocate and die. We know the story with Jesus. He didn't have any broken bones. Basically, when they came to check him to see if they needed to break his legs from die, he was, he was already gone. He had already given up his, his, his spirit. Now, so back to our story. So now we're at Sunday morning, okay? We're, we're on day three of, of that crucifixion weekend, um, following his death and his, his arrest and his death. So he's laid in a tomb. It's a borrowed tomb. I found that really interesting. I mean, anybody ever borrow a grave? <laughs> I mean, we, we really need to catch the premise of that. Now, Jesus has already said, you know, I'm, I'm coming back, right? I, I'm, I'm going to be raised from the dead in three days. You know, no one understands this concept, but yet he's laid in a borrowed grave. Just a loner, you know? So they put him in this tomb, and, and of course, in that day, the time frame, they wrapped them in burial cloth. Okay, they wrapped the body. So kind of if you want to go to the mummy side of it, they, they wrapped burial cloth around the body. They laid him, and a, and a tomb in that day would have been basically a cave maybe that you could crawl into. It had a hewned-out bench on the rock uh, that, where the body laid, um, pretty much pretty common. They would typically, after a period of time, um, family or whomever would come and lay spices on the body to do their thing, you know, and then they would close the tomb door up and let it do its stuff, you know. So we're, we're here we are, and he's, he's, got, he's been wrapped in the burial cloth. Um, and the thing I want us to catch is when they wrap the body, there was a, a, what they called a face cloth that they laid over the face of whomever it was, and, or a napkin, whatever, however you want to call that. So the Gospel of John in chapter 20, verse 7 says this, that the napkin which was placed over the face of Jesus was not just thrown aside like the grave clothes. The Bible takes an entire verse to tell us that the napkin was neatly folded and was placed at the head of that stone coffin, that stone piece that he was laid on. So um, early Sunday morning, while it's still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and she had found that the stone had been rolled away. Remember, they put a stone in front because they were afraid somebody was going to come steal his body. You know, he said he was going to raise again in three days. We know that's not going to happen, but... They're going to make it look like it happened, so let's place guards, put the stone in front of the tomb. That way no one can come steal his body. We don't get any of this funny business going on, right? Well, we know the story. Mary gets to the tomb. The stone's been rolled away. The soldiers who were there, if I'm not mistaken, are now dead. <laughs> not because the angel killed them, but it's because they literally, I think they died of fear when the angel came to roll the stone away. Um, so Mary gets there. The stone's rolled away. So she runs all the way and she finds Simon Peter and the other disciples in whom Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. I don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple ran to the tomb to see. 
The other disciple outran Peter, and he got there first. He stooped and looked in. You remember, this is a small little cave honed out in a rock. Um, he stooped and looked in and saw the linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. So when Simon Peter arrives and went inside, he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there where the cloth had covered Jesus' head, but yet it was folded and lying to the side. That's in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. Is this important? Yes. Is it really significant? Absolutely. And that's what I want us to see. See, in order to understand the significance of the folded napkin, you have to understand a little bit about Hebrew tradition of that day. The folded napkin had to do with the master and the servant. So every Jewish boy knew this tradition. When the servant set the dinner table for the master, so like tonight, we, we, we set the feast down, right? Um, and he made sure that it was exactly the way the master wanted it. So TJ spent all this time, and Adam, they, and they lay everything out just exactly like they want us to serve, right? Everything's in order this whole weekend. Everything that's been put before us has been put in order. You know, sometimes we flop the direction we go around the table. But they've set things out in an order and a fashion, right? So everything's set in order. That's what it was in traditional Jewish days. When they, when they set the master's table, everything was perfect. So you have to, you have to remember, you know, you're, you're talking about servants or slaves to a master that were serving him. So everything, they were afraid, there was probably some fear involved in some of that, that, you know, I mean, it wasn't a matter of getting fired, right? They'd probably get sent out somewhere else. So they did everything exactly like the master wanted, and made sure it was that way. The table was furnished perfectly, and then the servant would, would hide out and wait. Now, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the entire time that we've, when they say dinner's on, where, where have TJ and Adam been? out of the way they're sitting out of the way while we partake of our meal now they'll eventually walk in there and get their food right but but i want you to catch the premise of this because we've seen this all weekend long we, we've seen the servants set the table we've seen those that that was their task and and then they've stepped away and so that's what would happen in this day the servant would would kind of step into the corner maybe maybe into a hallway but always within eyesight of the table in case something was needed you know, these guys have done the same thing. They've watched. If something gets need to be refilled, they've refilled it. So that there's always enough. There's always plenty. So after all of this, and he's, he's just out of sight until the master's finished eating, then the servant would not dare touch the table until the master was finished. Okay? Now, if the master was done eating, this is the part I want you to really catch. If the master was done eating, he would rise. He would wipe his mouth and fingers with the, with the napkin. And he'd just toss it on the table. Kind of like throwing in the towel. That's it, boys. I'm done. I'm not coming back. I'm done. Can't eat another bite. Dinner's over. So I've thrown in the towel. You really need to, you really need to pay attention to that. The servant would know, I can clear the table. I can, I can you know, take his dish, take his plate, take his cup, and I can finish and do my cleanup. You know, he's going to go retire into his lounge, whatever he wants to do. The important part is, is understanding the napkin portion. When he was finished, he would wipe his face and fingers, crumple up his napkin, just throw it on the table. Anybody ever done that? I mean, at a restaurant, right? When you're done, what do you do with your napkin? Just toss it to the side of your plate, toss it to the... I know, you know, fancy restaurants have got the really nice, you know, like the really nice napkins that your, your silverware comes wrapped in, you know. 
I mean, those big heavier cloths, right? I mean, they're, they're, mine usually winds up on the floor because I can't keep it in my lap, you know? So, but, but that's what happens. When we're done, we're done. Sometimes it's on the plate. Sometimes it's, you know, but it's, we're done. And we get up and we leave the table. Now, in those days, the wadded napkin meant that I'm done. But should the master get up from the table, fold his napkin, and lay it beside his plate, the servant knew not to touch the table because the master wasn't finished. He was coming back. Maybe he needed to go to the restroom. Maybe he needed to get a phone call. Whatever it might be. But he's coming back. So the significance, when Jesus rose from the dead, they find the grave clothes just wadded up laying on the floor. But the face covering, the napkin, and there's a, there's a, there's a Jewish name for that, and I do not know it. I haven't looked that up. But they, they've actually, uh, there's, some, there's some history that says they found that napkin, and there's actually some imagery they feel like that they can actually see some of Jesus' face on that napkin. I, I don't know. Not into science like that. But what they found and what they described scripturally, and I believe we can believe that because it's written out very plainly that the face covering was neatly folded laying on the headstone. Right where his head was. Everything else just wadded up there on the floor. The significance of that being because everyone who came to check on Jesus' grave would have understood that. They would have, they would have seen and, and understood what that really meant. He is coming back, just like he said. In John 14, 3, it says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again, and I will take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. That's when he was speaking to his disciples. In Mark chapter 13, verse 32, it says, But of that exact day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son in his humanity, but the Father alone knows when that day will be. Mark 13, 36 is, is crucial for us to understand. It says, don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. The significance of that whole story is that folded napkin. Just simply telling us, I'm coming back, just like I said I was. And he left these signs, you know, he left all of these things for, for them to find and for them to record in Scripture so that we would know, just as what he had said in Scripture, I am returning. What I want to ask you tonight, or, or really emphasize to you tonight, is this. Don't let him find you sleeping. And what that word simply means is, we need to live our life in such a way that we are ready at any given moment because we don't know the day nor the hour that the Son of Man returns. He splits the eastern sky. He calls those that are already dead out of the graves. And then we join him in the air and we're gone. It's scripturally, it's there. I don't know how it's going to be. Don't know, I, I've got all kinds of questions. And, and I, I know there's all kinds of, of, of discussionary things that can happen, especially when you get into the religious side of things. Because, you know, well, is it, is it pre-trib? Is it mid-trib or is it, is it post-tribulation when all this takes place? I don't really care. Honestly, I don't really care. All I know is, is I need to live my life in such a way that when that day arrives, he doesn't find me sleeping, that I'm ready to go. 
And the only way I know that I'm ready to go is that I have surrendered my life to him. We've used that word all weekend long. We've, we've talked about surrender. We've talked about where we should be in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's, it's not a one and done thing. You know, if you look at John 3.16, very simple scripture. Most everybody knows John 3.16. Shoot, we see it in the football games, right? I mean, they wave that one around. John 3.16, it says that, um, you want to quote it? Can you quote it? John's using the more, more de- the deeper word where he said believeth in him. Every version of the Bible you look at, including the MOV, which is my own version, pluralizes that word believe. There's a real significance to that. Because if you look at the origins of the writings, if, if, if you go back and look at the origin of Hebrew, Hebrew and Greek writing of that scripture, that word believes doesn't exist in Greek or Hebrew. That's an American word or, or a common word put into play because there wasn't a word that fit right there. And what that means is, is when you look at the, the original writings, the Greek and Hebrew writings of the word believes, it says that whosoever believes, it's, in the Greek and Hebrew, that's a process word. It, it's, it says it's an ongoing event. Ongoing event. It's not a one and done. It's not a matter of, hey, yeah, I believe in the Lord, I'm good. Now, what it says is, for whosoever believes, whosoever continues on in their belief of him, whosoever continues on an ongoing event, they shall have everlasting life. That, that's what I want to live my life as. Simple scripture, simple meaning, simple understanding. Our life should be lived out in such a way that, that not only we know who we are, but others do as well. The thing that we've talked about all weekend long, living our life out loud, living our life in such a way that we don't even have to say words, that they understand our lifestyle is different. They understand that we are different. This entire weekend set up in a premise of just that, to bring you to a place of an understanding of where you need to be in your walk with Christ before you leave here. Now, again, Luke and I were talking about this earlier, Jesus' ministry all throughout history, all throughout the recorded history, Jesus always confronted sin. If he encountered you in, in some form or fashion out, in, out in, the, in the city streets or out in your lifestyle, and you weren't living according to the word, he'd call you out. Now, he wouldn't be with a condemning finger. It wouldn't be, oh, Matt, boy, I know, who you, I know where you were last night, boy. You know, that's not how he would do that. He would simply say, Maybe something more to the tone of, are you sure you're where you ought to be? You know, because where I'd really like you to be is here. What I'd really like you to be doing is this. You know, the word says, my father's word says this. And then he would simply say, going about your business, but don't do that anymore. Don't sin anymore. <laughs> Everywhere he went, he confronted sin. But he always ministered. And then he always left with a choice. Go and sin no more. Get your life in order. And, and, I, and I think, you know, these, yeah, okay, this is an annual event. But the messages remain the same. It's, it's, constantly, it's constantly a biblical rendition of a warning. The days, obviously, are getting crazier and crazier that we live in. We see that. I mean, the, the darkness creeps in around us all the time. Life is nuts. 
You know, I, I mean, our, our children are dealing with things that we didn't have to deal with. But we're dealing with things that our parents didn't have to deal with. You know, life is continually on this dig- digression downward, a spiral. We are to live our lives in such a way that others know who we are. We're set apart. We're called out to be set apart. These events are to do just that, to call you out. So as we close this one tonight, I, I want to challenge you. And I, and I think I've challenged you every, every session that we've had to speak. It's like having an American Express card. You know, put Jesus in your pocket and don't leave here without him. Find a way to find a life with Christ before you walk out these doors, before you leave this property, before you leave his presence, to know that you and him have got something worked out that you're going to continue to process that you're going to continue to try to draw closer to him with everything that you do. Try to live your life to the best of the ability to live according to his word. It's always asking of us. It doesn't mean that you'll have to do something like I do, or you won't have to do something like Luke or Tron or anybody else. You'll have your own niche. You'll have your own place. It'll be wherever God has you planted at this point. Live your life his way and allow him to use you to show someone else I'm to breathe through you, just like that duck call, so that someone else understands where they need to be with Christ. Be a light on a hill. Simple things. So as, as I close this in prayer tonight, I really want you to, to contemplate well, everything that you've heard here. All the stories. You know, I, I, I wrote my wife all ago, and I told her, today's been kind of an emotional day for me because... I've listened to conversations around tables of different people throughout this day. And I've heard bits and pieces all day long from some of the messages that we've spoke about since we got here Thursday night. Maybe just a word here. I've heard iron sharpening iron this weekend. I've heard community spoken several weekends. I've heard breathing through us several times. And, and it's cool because it's, for me, you know, just the preacher dude, I get to understand that people actually heard what I've said. And it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with your connection with him. But you've got it. You've picked it up. Now what are you going to do with it? And that's exactly what Jesus would say to you. You've heard the story. You know the message. Now what are you going to do with it? It's up to you. So I encourage you to that. As we, as we close in prayer, and honestly, I don't know, we're just, again, we're family. Once you've been in one of these events, we just become family. You know, we've spent three or four days together here together. You know, heard each other poot and everything else. So, eight TJ's cooking and Bracken right there beside him. And we've lived together in, in, in community for three or four days here. So, we know each other. What I'm, what I'm getting at is this. Don't be embarrassed to gather somebody up and say, you know what? I really do think I'd like to do something about my life. And if that means just spending a little time and praying with somebody, let's do that. I know that there's many here who will pray with you. They'll, they'll just spend some time sharing life with you. And you've, the, the numbers are on the boards. We've exchanged information. That, that is constant from here on out. You know, the, the podcasts that I do are, are available. There's my card's laying there. It'll, you can get to them pretty easy. You know, that's a daily message you can listen to. It's just simple, just like we've done this weekend all, all through the week's every day but let God change your life and don't look back 
Many of us have done so. We've let God change our life, and then we've crashed and burned. One of the messages I nearly brought out tonight was one about a crow and an eagle, and I've shared a little bit, I think, with Tyler about it, that there's a lot of things that we do in life that are experiences. I've had a lot of experiences in life. Many of us have had a lot of experiences. I've had a lot of spiritual experiences in life where I've had an emotional moment. I've, I've allowed a message to, to stir me, and, and I, maybe I've even cried knowing that my life isn't where it should be. Maybe I've made an altar call. Maybe I've asked somebody to pray with me. But it was just an experience emotionally. And, and I left and went back to my same old ways. Not really changed. That's not what we're after here today. Because just like that crow and that eagle, the only way an old crow is ever going to become an eagle is through a supernatural encounter with a holy God. The only way we're ever going to climb out of the hole that we're in, in our, in our spiritual life, is a spiritual holy encounter with a holy God. Supernatural. But he'll change us forever. That's what I'm asking of you tonight. Let God change you in such a way that when you leave here, you've had an encounter with him not just another experience. And in that encounter, just there's several biblical stories I can tell you. You'll never be the same again. Doesn't mean you won't fall. Doesn't mean you won't struggle. Doesn't mean you won't have problems in your life. But you'll know where your answers are. And you'll keep climbing that hill. You'll keep looking for the next mountaintop. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your presence in this place. God, you know every one of our hearts here. You know where we stand with you in relationship. And you know where we don't stand with you in relationship. But God, individually, that, that's where all of this comes down to. It doesn't matter what I think of somebody. It doesn't matter what Tron or Luke or anybody else thinks of somebody. It has everything to do with that personal relationship with you. God, what do you think of my heart with you, my relationship with you? So tonight, God, as, as we close and, and we prepare to close this event, I ask you to, to challenge our hearts. That, God, you convict us of the places of our life that are not good with you, that are not pleasing to you. And that, God, you give us an understanding of, of, a, of a path that we can take from this moment on to lead us towards that encounter that will change us forever. And we don't want just another emotional experience. God, we want something that moves our life towards you in such a way that we will never go back. God, I thank you for each one of these guys. I thank you for the opportunity to, to just be your voice in this place this weekend. Let these words sink deep into our hearts. Penetrate to the deepest, darkest places in our hearts, God, that you shine your light through us in such a way that it changes us forever. We thank you for it tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.